0: talk filling this Tuesday gap again because there's still too much to recap from the Ohio State Michigan game we'll take a break later in the week at some point Douglas Maurice Nathan Baird Stephen Means we would refer you back to the pod that went up Monday afternoon that detailed everything that happened with the Ohio State defense in Ann Arbor on Saturday and now we will do the same for the Ohio State offense and I will open with this with the caveat that of course PFF grades are only some indication they are not the end-all be-all of what happens in a football game, but Nicholas petit Frere's pass blocking grade from PFF was a 7.7. I think it's the lowest Hmm. grade in any category I've ever seen for a player in anything. And it is some indication of how things went for the Ohio state tackles, Nathan, right? So that, it is putting a number on what our eyes told us because I think by the end of that game, when it mattered, I thought, I thought Aiden Hutchinson worked over Dewan Jones at times in the first half. And then I think in the second half, I thought the Michigan defensive ends almost had Nicholas petit Frere on tilt. And you could see how that mattered to what I think was the last time anything mattered, which was, When Michigan went up 21-13, right, and Ohio State got the ball back and did nothing, and it was the second drive of the second half. After they went three and out on the first drive, they get the ball back again, again don't score. Then Michigan comes back and then makes it a two-score game, and then Ohio State starts scoring, but now they're just trying to – they're balancing between two-score game, one-score game, where if on that second series of the second half they had scored then and stayed right with Michigan, that – Aiden Hutchinson's – Sometimes his play, Nathan, sometimes just his presence dominated that drive. And you could see it in the
1: way that Nicholas petit Frere was struggling. I mean, as long as you're talking PFF grades, like Theron Munford had a 17.4 in pass block, which is miserable. I mean, that is just an abomination, 17.4. And, and, and Nicholas petit Frere was like buried somewhere down below that. That was like two basements down below that you didn't even know you had. Um, just a, we spent so much time all week talking about how that was going to be the matchup that this offensive line against not just the whole Michigan defensive line, but really just Aiden Hutchinson was going to be the matchup. And for a, as much talent as Ohio state has on that field, you know, the probably multiple first round receiver draft picks, why Trevor Henderson's Henderson is going to be the possible Heisman trophy winner or finalist. And Aiden Hutchinson was the best player on the field. No question. No question.
0: And it wasn't, I mean, that kind of grade doesn't mean that he got to the quarterback every snap. There were times where they handled him. They had a couple nice double teams early in the game. They There were times, especially, I think both NPF and Dewan Jones on some snaps kind of handled him by themselves. But Steven overall... Hutchinson's presence. And I know PFF was putting out stats. They, they had him, I think with 15 pressures, which is like the most since they started tracking this stuff seven years ago, it, it, it just got more impactful as the game went on. And I thought you could see it at times. I thought there were moments where he wasn't getting there, but just the thought that he might get there was making CJ Stroud get rid of the ball earlier than he wanted to, that there was an aura of Hutchinson that developed, even if they kind of blocked him. Okay. On some snaps.
2: For starters, we talked about on the defensive pod, how we didn't feel like there were any dogs. Aiden Hutchinson was in CJ's face on every snap. Even if it was just like, he didn't get there and the play was over. He went up to him and had some things to say to him a lot during the game. But what it boils down to is, yeah, Nicholas Petitfer and Dewan had their share of wins, but anytime there absolutely needed to be a play made by a pass rusher. Aiden Hutchinson made the play that needed to be made by the pass rusher every single time. And that's where it matters. Not on, you know, first and 10 in the first quarter when it's, you know, seven to nothing, it matters when it's 10 to seven and, or it matters when it's 14 to 13 and you're trying to keep a drive alive and it's third and seven and you absolutely need this or it's second and four And you absolutely need to keep this drive alive. Then that's when Aiden came to play, whether it was whether it was actually rushing the pasture or just his sheer presence, getting these guys to be a little jumpy, which led to some false starts.
0: You could even. So that last drive, the the drive that kind of was it for Ohio State, the second drive of the second half. uh, It started off with. Yeah, this is right. Right. Yes. It started off. They throw a quick little pass to Jeremy Rucker. gets wiped out because Nicholas Petit-Ferrer holds Aiden Hutchinson. So now it's first and 20. Then they run trivia and Henderson, Henderson, um, who actually gets 11 yards. So now it's second at nine. Nicholas Petit-Ferrer gets beaten inside by Aiden Hutchinson, but trivia and Henderson is there to help and kind of, that kind of saves it. So they complete a pass. Then Aiden Hutchinson goes right around Nicholas petit Frere on the next first down, forces a quick throw that only picks up five yards because CJ didn't have time to do anything else. Then there's a false start that they kind of don't show on the broadcast. I hate when I don't care about the storyline of the game. Show the freaking football. Yeah. God. Oh, someone's grandma came to the game today. Can you show the snaps, Fox? Show every freaking snap. Freaking Ohio State, Michigan, do the grandma stuff at halftime. There was some kind of false start. I don't know if it was on NPF or everybody just wasn't set. Joel Klatt said something about NPF, but then the the ref said that they weren't set. So that makes it second and 10. They run and like not much happens. Now it's third down. And this is where I'm talking about being on tilt. Now NPF is against David Ojabo. And I thought, I can't remember what game it was, but there was a game where I was talking about wondering if the Ohio State tackles would get beaten inside. Because I thought like speed rushers, game. they really weren't getting around those guys. You know, they have long reaches. They have pretty good feet. They're athletic. But I was worried about them getting beaten inside. And then that didn't happen a lot. This was the game where they got beaten inside. So now you start getting beaten inside by Hutchinson. And now you're not as quick with your backslide to the edge. And NPF is on tilt because Aiden Hutchinson's put him in a spin cycle. Now he's facing David Ojabo on third down. And Ojabo is off like a firecracker at the snap, goes right around him, practically untouched, pressures CJ Stroud, forces the step up, and now Hutchinson on the other side, who beat Dewan Jones but not quite to the same degree, is there, peels off Dewan Jones, and gets the sack. It's Hutchinson's sack, but it's Ojabo mm-hmm. who creates the play, but he created the play because by that point of that drive, Aiden Hutchinson was living inside Nicholas Petit Freyer's head. So now, and now it was an indication to me, guys, of how this must have worked all year. That David Ojabo doesn't have to be as good as Hayden Hutchinson. But once Aiden Hutchinson gets the tackles all jittery, then Ojabo goes speed rush around him. And it's like, man, that is some stuff working together. And that's, and that tore apart what turned out to be the last drive of the game where Ohio State actually had a chance.
1: I talked after the game about just like how much Michigan was in control of this game like how many minutes it seemed like they were in control of this game and this was an, like rewatching it really just emphasized that and the i i was I was just taking a, it's it's we saw them do this to so many teams all year the other side of this um where there were so many games or I use that word unfair at times where it just it seems like. You felt bad for certainly Akron, but even some Big Ten teams that like to what Ohio State was doing to them. And there were times where it like Aiden Hutchinson did that to Ohio State, I thought, where you're like, oh, that's the guy who's in the NFL. And these other guys are pretty good, but that guy should be in the NFL right now. And that's just not a dynamic that we often sense in an Ohio State game. Well, we do, but just the opposite of it.
2: Right. When you get beat inside like that, especially when both edges are beating the tackles inside, there's no pocket for CJ to step into. At that point, and like yes. maybe prolong somebody getting to him. Cause that's part of what presents sacks when there's a clean pocket for a guy to step up into, it, and now you got to bend even further to get to him. There's no pocket. And so now he's kind of stuck there and having to make a longer throw than he already has to make, which is why there was at times when, Doug, you talked about this, some of CJ spirals weren't as tight, some of that is weather, but also you've got bad weather, you've got very long throws because you're so far away from the line of scrimmage, and you're worried about getting pressured. It leads to those bad spirals, but it also leads to these situations where it feels like the ball is in the air forever before it gets to a wide receiver.
1: The first sack of the game, I think, was that same thing you're talking about, Doug, where Hutchinson beats – Dewan Jones inside yes and 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 there's so many times I, like Hussey doesn't give up sacks like Hussey didn't give up a lot of sacks this year they did a pretty good job of avoiding them, whether that was pass pro or whether that was CJ Stroud being smart and savvy and making good decisions and I wonder how much of a tone just that play set because when you're Dewan Jones and you know the wingspan you have Hutchinson on that play he lines up outside his outside shoulder and the first move is even to engage there and then he cuts it back inside and most 99% of the players that Dewan Jones goes up against probably even including Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith can't then recover and do what Aiden Hutchinson did on that play and and now that's in your head the rest of the day that like now I'm playing with a, 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 I'm playing at a different level here
0: mm-hmm. talking about some of the balls that flutter on CJ Stroud there's a play that absolutely reminded me of something that happened against Purdue in 2018 that I want to talk about later. So make sure I talk about that. But I did think that Hutchinson got after it, clearly. They had some double-team plans at times, but you could even see on that third-down sack that basically was the end of the game for Ohio State as it turned out. Ojabo beats Petit Frere, bang. Hutchinson beats Dewan Jones, not quite as quickly, but beats him. A guy on the interior beats Thayer Munford because when C.J. Stroud steps up inside of Jabbo, because to your point, Stephen, C.J. did initially what he often does, which is pressure's coming outside, I'm going to step up. My God, he's good at that. The difference between a confident, smart, calm quarterback is when you get pressure around the edge, do you bail Mm. and scramble and run, or do you step up? He, in the second half of this season, has been such a quarterback – who steps up and continues to have that presence inside a pocket that just because a guy beat your tackle around the edge doesn't mean the play's over. My God, he's been good at that. And he tried to do that, but when he did, he looked outside, and the guy that beat Thayer Munford put his hand up in the passing lane. Mm -hmm. So So
2: now now he's got to take off.
0: Now that's the second guy. So now he goes to the second option, which is escape right. First, he steps up left, hand up. Now he escapes right. And now there's, I think it's Jackson, Smith, and Jigma who's going to go with him. Mm-hmm. And against most teams, that probably works too. And now Hutchinson peels off to Juan Jones and gets the sack. So most teams, Ojabo's not beating petite Fair like that, one. Most teams, Munford's not getting beat like that by an inside guy who disrupts the first option when he steps up, two. And most teams, they don't have a first-round pick who's peeling off the tackle on the other side to get that sack three. There's a lot of, and and Mike McDonald in here, They blitz a linebacker up the middle. Travion Henderson is in there to help pass protect. He steps up and takes the blitzing linebacker Mm -hmm. right in the middle of the line, which is what he should do. But if there's not a blitz, that leaves Travion to help either on Ojabo or Hutchinson. He doesn't have that option. So it's Mike McDonald as well. So when you have three guys on the defensive line winning their matchups and a call that takes away the the help, you wind up in a situation where CJ Stroud does The right thing, the right thing, the right thing. And it doesn't work. Because it is a comprehensive, coherent plan of attack with high-level players winning one-on-one matchups. And I thought it was the game in a nutshell. Because if maybe, right, there's so much skill in the Ohio State offense and so much composure within the body of that young quarterback. If all of those things don't happen, right? If you don't have Ojaba winning, the tackle winning, Hutchinson winning, and the Blitz taking Travion, if you don't hit all four, CJ might finagle his way out of that. And instead, Michigan goes four for four and ends the game for all intents and purposes. It's a huge credit to Michigan. Not many teams in the country could do that. But it also was an encapsulation of how that day went for the Ohio State offense.
2: Having Hutchinson let them gamble. With the blitzes, because to be honest with you, CJ has been making teams play for sending those back seven guys on blitzes because, you know, guys have not been winning one on one battles. And so he's had time to diagnose and see, OK, the blitz came from here and my wide receiver just replaced that. Here you go, Jack. Or here's a chance to go deep to Chris Olave here. Garrett, come take the ball. But yeah, when you have a guy like Hutchinson who is consistently winning his one on ones and I I don't think it's Ojabo is winning stuff because of Hutchinson. I think they've just worked together all year because even um, in watching some of that Michigan State game before things went off the rails, they worked in tandem. So a lot of their sacks this year have been because the other guy got pressured. You forgot there was another guy on the other side of the field. So when that's happened, when you have guys like that. McDonald can gamble all he wants now because it doesn't matter how good at diagnosing CJ Stroud is if he's dealing with four or five different people coming at him.
1: We talked for weeks now leading up to this. And and, and Penn State was maybe the first crack in the dam that made us think this way. I thought Nebraska did a little bit too, but you you can't play Ohio State straight up. Like if you want to beat them, you're going to have to take some gambles. You're going to have to take some risks. And I thought they set the tone for that on the first possession of the game. Um, after Ohio State botches the snap, which how that's still happening in week 12. I know oh. it's snowy. It's w- whatever, but still. Um, and then next play, Ohio State goes empty. And your closest thing you have to pass protection help is split to the right. And they just put a second guy over the top of Thayer Munford and blitz him. It's yep. it's simple. It's, 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 it's almost you think it'd be like too basic to work. And Michigan's given up numbers elsewhere. But because you're you know which way that play is going, you know which way you're attacking from. It's it's an incompletion, and it just I thought simple stuff like that worked more effectively than we saw any team being able to do it against Ohio State all year.
0: They did a really good job, I thought, of blitzing right behind their ends a couple mm-hmm. times to put those tackles in conflict. There was in the red zone. Was it the third and one? That was a false start in the red zone. That on the first possession, that then made a third and six they blitzed yes. right behind Aiden Hutchinson and Dewan Jones took the outside blitzer and let Aiden Hutchinson go. But, it, but it was a false start. It was almost like, Oh, like that was like, if they had not blown that dead, Aiden Hutchinson was going to get a free run at CJ Stroud because they put two guys on top of the tackle.
1: That was the one where he was, uh, Jones was trying to point something out, right? I think so. Like yeah. Free snap, and I think that's mm-hmm. where, and, and yeah, I, I think they, um, I mean, we, we, yeah, like it came to fruition, like everything we talked about, like they were going to have some stuff dialed up specifically to attack some vulnerabilities. And that's exactly what happened.
0: The third and seven right before the half when Ohio State was forced to kick a field goal. It's third and seven. They have Hutchinson over Dewan Jones. Hutchinson bull rushes. Dewan Jones is knocking him back into C.J. Stroud. But they're also blitzing right behind that. So, and CJ is looking right at it because and CJ's throwing into the blitz, which is the right thing yeah. to do. But he sees Aiden Hutchinson practically throwing Dewan Jones in his lap and another guy right behind him. So he realized he has to go. Garrett Wilson is beating his guy on an inside route and he can't wait for it because the pressure is there. And he flips a little short one to Jackson Smith and Jigba instead, short of the sticks and RJ Moten comes up and makes an open field tackle and they wind up having to kick a field goal instead of converting that third and seven, they gain like four. So again, it's Hutchinson winning his matchup. It's blitzing on top of that win. And then it's, well, CJ does the best he can do. He can't wait for Garrett. So he happens a lot. He takes the check down and then Michigan has still enough. This is why like, they're not Karloftis and Purdue. They're not a one man defense. They have some guys who will rally to the ball and make open field tackles and RJ Moten open field on Jackson Smith and Jigba. We've seen all year what Jackson Smith and Jigba does to people in the open field. He puts a move on him. There makes that first down again, Ohio state might have the lead going to the half. Instead you create the pressure, you force the early throw, then you make the tackle. It's a connected defense, Steven, where, you know, I I I don't know what more C.J. could have done there because if he tries to wait the extra half second for Garrett to come free, he might be catching Dewan Jones in his lap.
2: That happens a lot. I don't know if a good game plan is ever, hey, let's let Jackson Smith the Jigbo be the team leader in catches. But I think that was kind of the game plan. It's make him have to throw it to the guy who has the longest way to go to get the first down and then just gang tackle around him. And he'll, he'll break some because he's really good at yards after the catch, and that's okay. But – for the most part, we're going to keep him. We'd rather deal with that than Chris Olave hitting us over the top or Garrett Wilson doing something explosive. We'll deal with Jackson Smith and the jig, but because it's the only place CJ can go, because as you said, he can't wait for Garrett. He can't wait for CJ, for Chris Olave to develop downfield because there's a lot of things coming at him. And you you talk about that drive. The 28th, when they're down 28 to 13, where it's like five minutes left in the third quarter, where it's not all the way over yet, because we're still talking about Ohio State's offense yet right now. 17 plays in six minutes and 41 seconds to go 82 yards. And we're like deep into the fourth quarter by the time that drive gets done. I think that's just as much of a, 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 a model of what this game was because there was no rhythm to that entire drive. It was something good happened, false start. Something good happened, sack. Something good happened, penalty. Something good happens, penalty, drop pass. It was just 17 plays of – here's the 17 plays that shows you exactly why Michigan's defense dominated Ohio State's offense.
1: You know who used to do some of that stuff where they would blitz a guy right in behind their star defensive end, like yeah. Ohio State. Like I remember 2019, that was like a Baron Browning staple. And the, I don't think Ohio State feels like it has the guy it can do that with now. Maybe yeah. even maybe more so from a defensive end standpoint than a linebacker standpoint, because I don't think the linebacker has to be that special when your defensive end is super special. And it's something's missing from this defense right now. That's, we didn't we did the defensive podcast already, but it, it's something's missing.
0: The PFF grades again, the pressures allowed, according to PFF, eight by Nicholas Petit Frere, seven by Thayer Munford. Nobody else on the team, more than two. And it was really that second half because Hutchinson wasn't flipping sides like play to play, but it It was like series to series. Yeah. Yeah. And so he really got a feel, I think, for Nicholas Petit Frere in the second half. And really really mattered. Let's talk about the penalties real quick. Dewan Jones I think had at least one. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Jackson Smith and Jigba just had a like it was the one I was talking about I think
2: third and one. He just goes early from the slot. Like they had some crazy ones. I don't like No 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 no. That's not his fault. It's Dewan it's DeWan because you they all – yeah, yeah that's what happened. Because if you watch uh, – yeah, after, after it happens, because they always react because they're kids and they react to penalties and stuff, they're all take that Dewan because it's like his third false start penalty of the game, and it just was unnecessary. Jackson is looking at DeWan. Um, Because he's looking at the ball. So we obviously see Dewan because Dewan's 75 million feet tall. And he sees Dewan go because, and so he's thinking, oh, the ball got snapped. So I take off. And because so, Dewan like moved his hand or whatnot or tried to go back in his, his set. And so they called the false start and they're all looking at Dewan crazy. So it's on Dewan. There's three okay. or four of them that are on Dewan.
0: Dewan had trouble with that then because he had at least a couple. Yeah. That one I think was called on Jackson Smith the Jigba. Yes. But Dewan triggered it. That was. Again, I don't know. I don't know what. Do we really think it was CJ's voice? Is that is that a real thing? I know CJ no. said that
1: after the game. No, I know so, he said that. I uh, I'm sure it didn't make it easier for him. But I, I come on, man. I, so, you, no, uh, you gotta, you gotta look, overcome that. I'm sorry. Like
2: it's it's not even that. It's like first and foremost, like I said after the game. Ohio State's been clapping during the snap for a decade and a half. This is not new. Second of all, I'm pretty sure that they've worked on all throughout the offseason, all throughout the season, being in these environments and having to deal with the fact that you can't hear your quarterback and having a silent snap yeah. count. So, no, I'm not – C.J. not having his voice to his best ability was not going to be the thing that allowed some of these penalties to not happen. They got jittery and antsy, just like they did against Penn State. So then DeWan only
0: plays 53 snaps as it turns out. Petit Frere and Munford, there's eight you know, – Whipler, they're all playing 81. He only plays 53, maybe because he was so jittery he was – He went to no, the No, tent. no, no. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, I saw the play that had happened, or because it's on that 17-play drive. When they blow up Mayan Williams' run for a four-yard loss, he, like, just gives up on the play, and he's holding his left arm limp, and he just runs straight to the tent And, okay. like, you see them start yelling to get Matthew Jones in the game. So I don't know what happened, but, yeah. Okay.
0: So it felt like that's some combination. If you have a tackle who is jumping that much, that's, I have to block a super awesome dude. That's in my head. And it's I'm on the road and it's snowing and this crowd is loud. And like, I've never played in this game before that, right. That it feels like, I guess there's, there's plenty of reasons for it, but the result is it did put him behind the sticks a lot. And it had, Multiple situations where, listen, if you're getting a holding penalty because Aiden Hutchinson smoked you, it's like, all right, hold it. Don't get CJ killed. That's, I mean, like, but <laughs> yeah. the pre snap stuff, as everybody yeah. always says, the pre snap stuff um, is just killing them. All right. I want to, I want to talk about the first drive of the second half and I want to talk about the thing that reminded me of the Purdue game. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Douglas Marie, Stephen Meese, Nathan Baird. Listen, we're not going to like talk about the Michigan game the whole month of December, but we wanted to give you guys like a comprehensive this was the deal kind of rewatch of why did this happen? And I don't, I don't even know that we're answering a ton of questions, but it's like for the record books, like officially this is why this happened. So let's do the Purdue thing. In the moment, I don't know that I thought it to this extent, but the first drive of the game, the second down throw out to the corner of the end zone to Chris Olave. CJ Stroud is a little bit late. And he throws it a little bit inside instead of a little bit outside and it flutters and Olave it sort of hits him in the hands, but he's turning his body back into the defender and it makes it a more difficult catch than it should have been. But I thought the main thing was that it was late. It was a half second late when Ohio state got smoked by Purdue in 2018, there were two throws early in the game where Dwayne Haskins in the back of the end zone, one in particular to Terry McLaurin had a guy and he was a little late He was a little late. I think he did it again on another drive to Ben Victor, maybe. But the McLaurin one, I'll always remember because when at pro day then for Ohio State, after that season, Dwayne Haskins made against air with all the scouts watching, made the exact same throw to Terry McLaurin. It was like, boy, that was beautiful. That would have helped against Purdue in November because as much as that game got away from them, they were forced, to, I think, to kick a couple of field goals in the red zone early. They didn't get a score. And they had stuff that was there, and they just missed it. And then because they didn't get an early score and they didn't get any early momentum, then it got away from them. Nathan, when, when CJ didn't complete that throw to Chris Olave, I did not think to myself, uh-oh, well, there goes that. They're going to lose. But when you look back on it, yep. they have completed routes like that a gazillion times this year much more difficult routes. And if they score a touchdown there, you know, it's four extra points, but it's also you're answering Michigan's touchdown with the touchdown instead of being held to three. When you look back, it feels
1: kind of big. I I thought it felt huge when we looked, when I looked back on it. And the reason we don't didn't think as much of it at the time is because it's not like we we've talked before on this podcast about those guys dropping passes a couple of times um, over the course of a season. And it doesn't matter. They're, still, they're just going to score later in that drive. They're going to score f- three, three more touchdowns that game. It, most games, it doesn't matter. But it's sort of what I was talking about for a few weeks is that when an, uh, another offense came out and your defense can't get them off the field, then every little mistake that you make becomes that much more significant. And I'm, I'm sorry, like, I, I you're right. The throw was a little bit late. But if the only way you can score to win championship games is if everything goes 100% according to plan and you're not getting any pre- – you don't have to make a play with pressure. You don't have to make a play with good coverage. And they made some plays. I mean, my God, that catch Garrett Wilson made. So it's not like I'm, – I'm not, I'm not hating on the whole offense here. But, well, all right, th- this, this will sound like a hater statement. But, like
2: – Bug, I talk.
1: But if – no, but if, like – I think one of the best receivers in the country makes that catch.
2: Yes. Brian Hartline I know, I talked that's about a yeah.
1: thing to say. I'm sorry. That's just like that's the, that that was a difference making play. And like, don't talk. I mean, yards are great, but you got to make those plays when they matter. And they, they Chris Olave didn't make that play when it mattered. doesn't doesn't doesn't, you know, ruin his career at Ohio State. But when he needed to make that play, he didn't just like some of these offensive linemen didn't make their plays when they needed to.
2: Brian Hartline talked about that all spring. The idea that these wide receivers are going to have to make, you just make the quarterback look good sometimes. And there was a lot of, not just in this Michigan game, there have been some other times this year where, because he's young and he's still fresh at this, he was late on stuff where it wasn't as accurate as it needed to be. And the receiver needed, needed to make him look good, and guys didn't do it. Chris obviously did it later. Jackson Smith, the jig, but man, he did it later too, but... Yeah, that was an opportunity for Chris to do it. and He didn't do it. But I will say this. We've seen situations like that in the red zone with Ohio State where like they've gone to the pass and it was barely off. And it's like, yeah, but the wide receiver won that rep. He just didn't finish it. So we're going to try it again. And Ryan Day goes right back to it. It might be a different play, but he just goes right back to that same matchup and it ends up being a touchdown the very next play. They didn't do that. He decided to just run the ball and obviously it got stuffed.
0: Ohio State. In the red zone four times in that game, two touchdowns, two field goals. Michigan in the red zone seven times in that game, six touchdowns. So that was a difference. Red zone is always a difference. The was that that third down run was was Mayan not in? Or I mean, was was it's, Mayan in instead of Trevion or was it Trevion?
2: It was – no, it was... okay, no, that's not what happened. It was – they went to Crystal oh. Olave, it's incomplete, and then Dewan Jones gets a false start, so now they right. have to throw it because now they're on the third – it's third and eight instead of third and three, and then CJ gets sacked.
0: Oh, right, then it's the Hutchinson sack, right. Yeah. So that is – they never got a chance to – because <laughs> they had the dr- the drop, late throw, whatever – Then followed by a penalty and a sack. They never even got to think about, are we going to go for it on fourth down? Mm -mm. And they never got to say, should we just pound it and run it here? So it was a bad combination of events, a bad combination of events. Okay. Second thing I want to talk about, the opening drive of the first half, of the second half, excuse me, which is three Travion Henderson run and finishes with, I think, maybe the most inexplicable play call of the season. And not just because it was a run, but because of the type of run it was on third and two. There's no read element and there's no RPO element. There's not not an opportunity to do anything else there. And it doesn't, I can't tell. There's seven guys in the box against six blockers because all three linebackers are right there. Josh Ross, Luke Whipler and Paris Johnson both engage with the defensive tackles right in front of them. And Josh Ross splits them and Mm -hmm. takes the hole that trivia Henderson is planning to take. Luke Whipler comes off his tackle late and tries to get to Ross and doesn't can't do enough to affect him. Nathan, I almost thought the way that Michigan was aligned knowing the play call they had, it felt like a play they should have gotten out of. I, I thought that would have been – it, it feels like that should have been a check to a throw. Chris's one-on-one at the bottom of the screen, check to a quick slant, check to a bubble. Like It, it feels like they got the wrong play call against the wrong defense and did not adapt to it, and then Michigan executed it, Josh Rosh defensively, exactly how you would expect them to
1: or even call a timeout when you see that developing if you're Ryan Day, right? Like if you know if you like how do you not diagnose that that's potentially a catastrophe waiting to happen? And it's college football, like your your timeouts aren't as valuable at the end of a game as they are in the NFL because you can stop the clock other ways. So I think right there just stopping and reevaluating what was happening would have been uh, the prudent move. It, it, even if cuz I don't know, I don't know what CJ Stroud's um freedom is to complete the wholesale make a change right there like to kind of freelance it on the move like it, different quarterbacks have different freedoms there and being a redshirt freshman but by the end of the year he probably should like you know ryan days talked plenty about like the the abilities that he has and we we've seen it so he, they're probably he probably should have a something that that checks into that he could have done at the line of scrimmage um but i mean we saw like the, this this offense was a little bit disjointed in, in ways like that all game. Like, first snap of the game, he was going up. He was going up to change the play or to make some kind of communication. And Luke Whippler hit him in the chest with
2: the ball. I don't think he has any freedom to do that right now. Um, I don't think Justin had any freedom to do it in 2019 either because uh, Day said it. He said that, no, he doesn't really do that. He just looks over at us and we'll tell him if there's an audible or not. So that's on Day. He should have audible out of that. But more importantly, here's what I thought was going to happen. First play, you run it with Travion, you get five yards. Quality play, cool. It's second and five now. You can The playbook is wide open. You can do whatever you want. Play action, take the shot. I definitely thought that's what was coming. Instead, you run it again and you get three yards. Okay, now it's third and two. So now, to your point, Doug, yeah, maybe there needs to be a read element to this, whether it's an RPO or just CJ takes it himself. But I definitely thought second and five, it's 14 to 13, And this is kind of like Michigan's money time of whether or not Ohio State's offense is going to get into this game. Why not take a shot? Mister, I am the most aggressive man in the world. I always want to pass the ball. I'm pass happy. Let's take a shot here. And he did not do that. Instead, he waved the white flag and ran it three times.
0: What what did he say post-game? Wasn't he asked about that? He was. Hold on. Keep talking. So I I do think, because here's the thing. So the first play, and this was this was a thing that popped up a couple of weeks ago. The first play, they move the line of scrimmage. They get a good push. Mm-hmm. And Trevon Henderson gets five, but it almost felt like there was more there if he cuts the opposite way. And it almost felt like he ran to contact again, which was a conversation we were having a couple of weeks ago of this is a young guy who is trying to be physical, wants to be tough. And there are times of like, it felt like he... Maybe he had a little scoot and wiggled to the right. And instead he put his head down and went left and got five where you run that play again, maybe it pops. So now it's second and five. Second and five, they run to the right. They tell Jeremy Ruckert to block the defensive end. And Dewan Jones is out there and Dewan Jones goes to the second level immediately. And they leave Ruckert, and I, I think it wasn't a Jabo or Hutchinson. It was somebody else. They leave Ruckert one-on-one on the edge with the defensive end. And just like with um Loftus a couple of weeks ago, against Purdue, Ruckert wins it initially. But then by the time Henderson gets to the hole, the guy peels off of Ruckert and makes the tackle on Trevion Henderson. And Dewan Jones goes to the second level. Dewan Jones winds up not touching a Michigan player in the course of the play because there's nobody at the second level for him to block. But if somehow he would have stayed and helped Ruckert, he would have helped block the guy who made the tackle, who set up the third and two. I'm not saying that's a responsibility. I'm saying, okay, you designed a play to make your tight end, block the guy on the edge, and your right tackle, who's this giant mammoth beast, just kind of wound up wandering through the secondary with nothing to do. And again, it was fine, but it didn't pop. And it felt like if he did something a little bit different, it should have popped. So the first play gets five. It felt like they could have gotten more. The second play gets three. It felt like they could have gotten more. And then you wind up in this third and two that that Steven doesn't work at all. And you punt.
2: Yeah. And just for the clarification that Lenny didn't necessarily ask why he asked he made those calls. He asked more. um, How do you think that? Series of plays, you know, impacted the game long term and they kind of agreed. Yeah, we were able to turn the tide in that moment. But yes, to your point. Yeah, you ran three, three conservative plays that probably could have gotten more if people would have blocked a little better. But also maybe you just should have had, went with different options there because the, the game's not over. At all. You're still kind of in this and we're still in the OK, when's the avalanche coming mode? But once you get that, once you go conservative there and Michigan does its job and now the crowd's really into the game and now Michigan can really be conservative with their play calls and run some clock and run the ball because Ohio State can't stop it. There's no way you're getting back into this game.
1: I, I harped on the postgame pod and I brought it up again on, on the offensive, uh, the defensive breakdown pod about just how Michigan was constantly on schedule that entire second half and never really faced third down peril and in the first half Ohio State was doing a good job of putting them in third down situations but it was like third and one third and two third and one third and one it, Michigan was getting a lot of short third downs and it felt like throughout this game Ohio State was lining up in third and seven third and nine third and something and then somebody gets a false start or and then the sack like it, it felt like Ohio State was in a lot of tough third down situations this whole game. And that doesn't a, apply to what we're talking about here exactly right now, but because there was only get, third and two. But
0: I think it was Ojabo, actually who made the tackle on the second down run that when Ruckert was trying to block him. Um, and then you lose two on that, so now it's fourth and four. You're at your own thirty-one in a one-point game. You can't go right. That that no. it just and if you fast-forwarded and knew how the game went, you'd say, "Well, let's go right there. Let's try to seize them." <laughs> but like you had to punt. And then, and then here comes Michigan. And as we covered on, on the pod, talk about Ohio state's defense, here comes Michigan where now there's the 55 yard Blake quorum run. And now they're going and you doing nothing. Michigan then immediately did something. And now it's starting to roll. But man, I mean, again, is it not a different game? They get one first down. Cause the whole thing with day is get one first down and go tempo, but you've got to mm-hmm. get the first down. They got nothing. Travion, 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 and they wind up at fourth and four. Like how It's
1: how can it, that be? It's the circular way that things work on each other. It's like in basketball, like you've got to make shots to set up your defense. That's that's how you – you know what I mean? Like if you're not doing one, it's hard to do the other. And in football, I, like you say, like if you're not getting first downs, then you're not controlling in tempo. You're not like setting people back on their heels and, and going from there. But even if you – even if you fast forward to the end of the just go to the end of the punt, like they put Michigan all the way back at its own 19. I mean, I, they flipped the field pretty well that at that point. So when you're watching it in real time, it's one of those things, again, that when you look back on it, it seems more catastrophic than it did in the moment, because in the moment they flip the field. They're at their own 19. Michigan's only scored, you know, 13, 14 points to that point. Like Ohio State wasn't getting blown off the field yet. And then it starts.
2: So. Ohio State had one clean drive really in this game where you got the first down so you could go tempo, but the tempo and the tempo wasn't interrupted by a series of bad snaps or false starts or holding penalties or whatever. And that's when they go up 10 to 7. They get the ball back on their 44-yard line after a Michigan punt, and that's when you see that they go to Garrett for 10 yards, and then Traviatt has the two-yard run, and they go tempo, and they hit Jackson Smith the jig, but then they go tempo again, they hit Garrett for a 25-yard touchdown. That's the cleanest job they had all game and look what happened.
0: Here's the, here's the thing that again, is this ultimate thing. It is why football is pretty stinking fun because there's so much physicality and elite athleticism combined with absolute mental and physical precision, that 22 people are all trying to execute at the same time. And like we covered on the podcast about Ohio state's defense, when you get a play where Michigan eight different guys for Michigan all make their perfect blocks. And it's like, man, that looks super easy. Why doesn't that always happen? And then you have situations where Aiden Hutchinson is throwing people around and it's like, how does anybody ever score in this game? This looks impossible. And just the, the strategic elements of football, there's so much to baseball. I fall asleep during anymore. And basketball, there's obviously a lot of strategy to basketball, but it's so in the moment and no individual possession can matter all that much until you get in the last two minutes or whatever. Here Mm -hmm. we are. We're talking about a third down run on the third play of the second half. And it turns out to be an absolute strategic turning point here. But here's my point. I do love football sometimes, this kind of stuff, man. I'm not a physical person. Buckeye talk, but when you combine the strategic elements with the high-level elite mental and physical aspects of it, it is like a it is a fascinating thing to analyze. Ryan Day at times this year we have said throws it too much, right? Sometimes like he wants to throw it, does he not? Mm-hmm. In his heart and his gut, he wants to throw it. So they're having a little trouble throwing it because. Michigan's defensive ends are awesome. So the idea that he's like, no, no, I'm not taking like ideally. Yes. I love play action. Ryan Day says, I love it. Tattoo it on my chest, play action, under center play action off tempo, get a first down running the ball, get under center. I I'm born to do it, but I'm worried about Aiden Hutchinson. I'm trying to stay on schedule. I want our team to come out and physically establish something. I want to take a little pressure off CJ. I want to get our offensive line that's had some pass-blocking problems. I want to get them some confidence by saying, let's move some people in the run game. Whenever an offensive line struggles, you always let them run it because that's how they start to feel good about themselves. All that, I'm running it. We're running it till we get a first down, and then we'll talk. Yes, Steven? Like, would you buy that? I'm not disputing that a play action on second and five might not have worked, but I think we can understand. It's almost like Ryan day is making himself go against his tendencies Mm -hmm. because all year, sometimes he does throw it too much. And the result is they ran it three straight times and punted and they look conservative. When I think in his mind, he would say, I'm trying to be physical and I'm trying to get our offense
2: some confidence. I get it. And it makes sense. And I, I would respect the answer. And my, my only rebuttal to it would have been. Maybe you just take the lead right here very quickly with an explosive play to give your defense some energy that it needs to get a three and out real quick, and then you can get physical, but they needed us. I, I understand wanting to get it physical, but at that moment, Ohio state needed some type of spark and some way to set a tone for how the second half was going to go. And being burly and you know, physical at the line of scrimmage, which they hadn't been the first 30 minutes of the game, just didn't feel like the way to do that.
0: Nathan, what do you think? Were three runs to start the second half a mistake?
1: I think more to the point, the play call itself on third and two was the mistake. I, think, I mean, w- when does Ohio State not going to take any third and two scenario and think that they've got a first down? Like after what this offense has done all season, like, come on. Like that's, that can't be okay. And I, I think really it's just, it was what they chose to do on that third down play. I think you spelled it out correctly. I think they should have made an adjustment at the line or they should have made an adjustment from the sideline, but they, they, they went forward with the play they had and then you, and there you go. But again, I, I still go back to, again, yeah, sometimes the other team stops you. You can't give up 81 yards and three runs going the other way. No, all the stuff that people talk about
0: complimentary football. This was like discomplimentary, uncomplimentary, non complimentary, whatever. Well, complimentary for the opponent. Right. Yeah, when, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. When yeah. you get complimented, somebody else compliments yes. you. Hey, Ryan. Not, not
1: complimented. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Ryan. No one was complimenting Ohio State on Saturday. I like your jacket. We
0: just forced a three and out and went 81 yards in three plays. You got complimented.
1: Steve, Steven and I are laughing because we were at uh, an interview recently where this came up that we won't embarrass somebody with here, but we'll tell you when we get off the.
0: Yeah. Was it uh, a, a confusion about the word compliment and compliments? Yes.
1: yes.
2: Yes, it was. <laughs> it was awesome.
0: <laughs> like, Not for
2: them. They're idiots, but it was awesome for us. It was I mean, like funny. one
0: of those things, like where somebody would say like, Hey, uh, Hey, offensive player, how do you guys think you compliment the defense? And like, it'd be like, you know, we, Tell them they dress nicely. We tell them that they're, <laughs> that was, they're very almost like
1: exactly Yeah.
2: That's yeah, yeah. It was amazing. But and the right, it's, it, it's not even that. It's the right person for that question answered it. That's what makes it funny and I will frustrating tell you, at the same time. The English language, are you
0: freaking kidding me? It yeah. makes so little sense that that anybody who
1: misspeaks it's on the people who made the stupid language. Stupid language. How, how many I, comedians aren't there? Like from George Carlin to Gallagher to Eddie Izzard, they all have bits about Buzz, how- Buzz,
0: Buzz, Buzz, Buzz. Middle aged white guy buzzer. <laughs> you just named three middle aged white George Carlin buzzer. is like a white comedy comedian.
1: legend. Like I'm sorry if people don't know who George
0: Carlin is. He's also is, dead
2: because but... he's so old. Oh, he's I was gonna uh, ask but, has he been in a movie lately? That's how I was gonna figure out who he was. He was but, a piece. Really but the okay, wor- anyway.
0: but but the whole the, the language 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 is language is hard it's ridiculous so the thing of it is so i think steven you made this point earlier i kind of shut down my rewatch once they punted on the first two drives of the second half cuz it's like mm-hmm. great i mean ohio state scored two touchdowns then and then had a down but, but like it didn't matter like it was kind of over there but i i guess i didn't realize that their two touchdowns drives took up 30 combined plays and 11 minutes. Steven, would you, th- do you think those were in some ways victories by the Michigan defense? Is that mm-hmm. what you were saying? That yes, Ohio State scored, but it was not the explosive Ohio State that can get a, get the Buckeyes back in a game in one play. It took them 17 plays and then 13 plays to do it.
2: It's the difference between this game and the Minnesota game. That's why Ohio State was able to eventually win that game is because, I mean, they hit Garrett Wilson for a 75-yard touchdown, one play into it. They hit Chris Olave for 25 yards, and he takes it for another 40 for a touchdown. Michigan, Ohio State just helped Michigan out. Like, we want to waste time. You want to waste time. Let's get out of here. Let's just have these long drives. They had one scoring drive that was less than three minutes, and it was the drive when they went up 10 to 7. Everything else was, you know, Uh, three minutes and 42 seconds, 12 plays in 62 yards. Then it's 17 plays, 82 yards, six minutes and 41 seconds. And then it's 13 plays, 75 yards, four minutes and 29 seconds. Michigan did on both sides of the ball exactly what it should have done to win this game. Use as much time as possible to score points and end it with touchdowns. Aiden Hutchinson, wreak havoc and let's make Ohio state drive the field. And if CJ Stroud has 400 passing yards, then CJ Stroud has 400 passing yards. As long as he only has two touchdowns.
0: It almost is. I don't know that I've ever thought of a t- team like forcing the opponent into time of possession. It's like, how are you going to stop them? You're like, we're going to make them hold the ball. It's like, what are you talking about? But, it's, mm-hmm. but I, like Nathan, that's almost what happened here. That again, Ohio state now is down 28, 13, They get the ball back with 5.46 left in the third quarter. They go 12 yards, incompletion, 7 yards, 11 yards, 6 yards, penalty. 4 yards, 9 yards, 5 yards, 4-yard loss, 26 yards, 5 yards, incomplete, 1 yard. The quarter ends. They come back 10 yards, incomplete, 4 yards, 1 yard, 17 plays, 82 yards, 6 minutes and 41 seconds. Do you think Ryan Day, to some degree, was pulling his hair out, Nathan, during that?
1: Yeah, probably. And again, it's this offense has been so explosive all year, but this is where those 31 pressures come into play, because you pointed out a play in the first half during the game, Doug, where they were Michigan brought a blitz off of one side and Ohio State had two receivers open. But it would have meant C.J. Stroud throwing into the face of that blitz, right, instead of just taking the thing that was off to the right. That was, I think, I don't know, that might have even been a completion, but it, it was, wasn't what they could have It was have the had. play.
0: He tried to throw a little one short right to Chris Olave, and the guy deflected it. Yeah. it okay, yeah, yeah. And yeah, he had yeah. two receivers open to the left, but mm-hmm. they confused him by where the blitz was coming
1: from because they, they disguised right. it pre-snap. And I, this is where those pressures come in, because now even if you're even if you're completing a pass – Those defensive calls are usually designed in such a way that they're going to they will give you that pass because they know they're taking this other thing away, either with their coverage or with the pressure and the direction it's coming from. So that's why it it, instead of maybe another opponent, those explosive plays would have been more in reach. But the way Michigan was attacking this, I think that obscured some of those potentially big plays for Ohio State and made that drive last longer than it needed to or than than it otherwise would.
0: Then, as we said, Ohio State does put that drive together and gets it back to one score, 28-20, and then that's the drive where Michigan comes out and converts mm-hmm. two third downs on two Ohio State penalties, mm-hmm. gets it back to 35-20. Again, if the defense gets a stop there for Ohio State, now the offense is down eight. I did think it was it was like an extra level of pressure that even when you thought, oh, maybe Ohio State, if they do this or whatever they do that, it's like, well, all they would do is be driving to score the touchdown that sets up the two-point chance that would get them tied. Like they had like – it was like score the touchdown to get the two points to force overtime, which is like that wasn't – it's not like they were to take the lead. So Mm -hmm. there was like a lot of pressure there the whole time with that eight-point edge that was caused
1: by Ohio State getting held the two field goals in the red zone. I'm I'm curious what Ryan Day would have said about not going for two earlier to make it a seven-point game when the (sighs) analytics would say – you should. And I've, I used to feel very strongly the other way. Like, Hey, why would you put, why would, why would you do the two point conversion any earlier than you have to? You'd always put that till the end. Right. But I mean, I've been shown mathematically now many times over the years that the two, that the analytics say you go for too early and um, to, to give yourself kind of that insurance policy. And I wonder if he doesn't feel that way or if it was just the, dynamic of that game that he felt like not thinking, not expecting them to be able to score that many times if it didn't go right.
2: I do think so. It's 21 to 13 and then 28 to 13 and then they, score it's 28 to 13 and then they score. I don't know if the defense is playing that bad yet to where you're completely out of the, Oh, they're just not going to get a stop. Maybe he's still thinking, we're going to get another stop. And then at that point, it's 27 to 28 because we're going to score again. And then we're talking about a different scenario here. But once Michigan scores again and makes it 35 to 20, all of that's off the table because now all of a sudden your defense is playing that bad. But at that point, you're still thinking you're getting enough stops that you're okay just kicking the field goal and giving the ball back to Michigan.
0: Uh, kicking the extra point. I did think, yeah, the extra point. I thought when they scored and they kicked the extra point, when they scored early in the fourth quarter, the drive we're just talking about. And so they kicked the extra Mm -hmm. point and Michigan's ahead 28-20. I thought they should have gone for two there because there's only two reasons to not go for two in that situation. Because the whole point is you're going to need to make a two-point conversion. So tell yourself the information as early as possible. Do we make it or not? So you can adjust your strategy accordingly. Because if you're going to miss it, now you're down an extra score and you've got to adjust to like, hey, we drove in the final minutes to score the touchdown now we have to go for two to tie it. Oh, we missed it. Well, it's only 14 seconds left. But if you knew where get it, you, you were going to miss it, you could have adjusted. That's why you do it. And that's the math you're talking about, Nathan. The only two reasons that you don't do it is, A, it's just weird, and you don't think about it, and that's not your deal, right? Because it's new. No one ever used to do this in the old days. So it's just like, pfft, no, I'm not doing it. Or it's emotional. You think, I want, to, I want my guys to feel like they're hanging in, and I don't want us to finally score, to cut it to a theoretical one-score game and then immediately suck the life out of us by missing the two-point conversion. So now we're down nine. So now everybody knows, hey, we thought we were down two scores. We just scored a touchdown and we're still down two scores because we missed the two-point conversion. I think that's why he didn't do it because I don't think Ryan Day is like such an old school guy that he's like, ah, math. I think he wanted to keep the emotional momentum there because I think he felt like it was probably it could have tipped the other way. Nathan, that right, you just drove yeah. 17 plays and 82 yards. You don't want the end result of that emotionally to be a letdown. So I think that's why he kept doing it. But in the end, it didn't matter. But they they could have gotten to a point where it mattered yeah. because, again, it affects how you play the game in the meantime. And, for instance, they had that long drive. They come back out and do another long drive. If they go for the two earlier, miss it, then you know, listen, man, we got to take shots. Mm-hmm. What are we doing? We can't march nine minutes again. We get, we're down two scores, but that's not the way they played. Luckily for them, they were so convincingly beaten, the two-point strategy didn't matter. Ha ha. So, okay, I, I want to talk big-picture offensive future stuff, which is how we did it. I thought there was a good way to do it, Nathan, on the on the defense podcast. For the last segment, Is like, okay, so now what? Is there anything else we want to cover sort of for the basics of what transpired on the field? Again, Ohio State – Gained 458 yards. Michigan gained 487, but Ohio State did it in 79 plays. Michigan did it in 61. This is again, this is the opposite of how Ohio State games usually go. That means Michigan was eight yards per play. Ohio State was 5.8. The third down conversions, Michigan five of eight. And part of that big number is the eight that they only had eight third downs. Ohio None State, in the second half. Ohio State, eight of 18. Ohio State eight of eighteen. Steven, is there anything we didn't cover from an offensive standpoint specifically that you wanted to mention?
2: Um Yeah, just just two things I just think they just need to be talked about. Uh one, Strat, when Aiden Hutchinson went inside again on Stroud and he scrambles out and it's like that's just tough. He he finds Jackson Smith the Jigba, who most times has caught that ball. He showed us even more freaker catch. That's just tough. That's a really yeah. big, big moment in the game. Um, I, I go thought, ahead, Nathan. Quick,
1: I, I thought that might have been one of the weather elements affecting the game. I yeah. thought either the, probably not so much the ball, but maybe his uniform is slick because that ball just seemed to like mm. squirt right off of him. And I wonder if that oh. was a, a weather-related incompletion.
2: Yeah, that, and then I was going to bring up the Jeremy Rucker throw. I kind of think the weather took that a little bit. Um, he's a little late with that one, but not like how he was with Chris. I think the weather might have taken that one a little bit because I think that's the easy score. And then the... Fifteen yard touchdown run. I'm not sh- sure that was a hold on Nicholas Petit. For I, like, the the job was kind of slipping already, and I think I mean they called it so it is what it is. But had they not called that, and we're sitting here doing this rewatch, I don't think any of us would have been sitting here saying that the rest missed a holding call in that situation. Mm.
1: I, I had a couple things I was going to bring up. Um, one was the weird like direct snap that they did to Trevion Henderson. That I thought came at a crucial time. And I'm like, what is yeah. that? Like, I hate the Wildcat. Like I've always said, like, if I was hiring an offensive coordinator, I'd ask him, like, hey, how many Wildcat plays do you have in your playbook? And if it was if the answer was over like 0. 0.5, you're eliminated from the, the candidate pool. Like let's let's play <laughs> let's play real offense here. Unless you've got Ladanian Tomlinson, we're not running the Wildcat. And I don't think Ohio State does right now. But Traven Henderson's good. He's not Ladanian Tomlinson yet. So I thought that was just weird. Uh, just at a, in a at a weird juncture of the game, too. And then also, you mentioned Jeremy Rucker, and it struck me, this is a hard thing to gauge without like an all-22 angle, but Ohio State didn't use the tight end over the middle of the field at all in this game, mm. yep. which I thought was strange. And, and mm. he is such a weapon, and I know why they have to use him as a blocker primarily, and I know, especially right now, when the rest of that tight end group is not that accomplished, and he has to carry a lot of that load himself but it just i i wonder if there was some way that you could have schemed more opportunities with him over the middle cuz how many times over the years have we seen them really capitalize by hitting strikes with Jeremy Ruckert up the seam and over the middle and it, it just seemed like a weapon they didn't even try to use i mean there was only like two targets on record the one that you're talking about um Steven and then another play that mm-hmm. i think got um, negated by a the penalty a penalty right yeah Did he have any catches?
2: No, no. And they weren't like really leaving him in like they did against Purdue for the sake of like helping with the blockers. He just wasn't necessarily a part of whatever the reads CJ Stroud was supposed to be going through. It is interesting to
0: think. And again, you don't normally do it. It's again, this is, this is the great, wonderful, difficult thing about football. Why second guessing. It is so interesting on one hand. It's like, why are you doing the direct snap to Trevor Henderson? I agree with that. Right. But on the other hand, what was the special thing they did? What what was the play they had dialed up that that was like oh they've been working on that for Michigan? Michigan ran that little that? Fl- that, but like it was but my definitely point is, that. But but like Michigan ran that little flea flicker right. that worked right. right. We talk about it all the time. Ted Ginn lines up as a tight end and releases down the field. Right, one of the great ones in Ohio State history. Where was the thing? Where was the thing? Where and it doesn't have to be again. I always just say the tight end throwback, right? But you go, the tight end fakes a block, leaks out. You go, everybody goes to the one side of the field. It's the kind of thing Iowa and Wisconsin does. You throw it back, and there's a tight end standing by himself 30 yards down the field. But just where were the moments, where was the moment where an offensive play call freed up an Ohio State guy to do something that left him alone 20 yards away from any defender, which is sometimes what happens in your rivalry game, in a top five matchup where every point matters. And
1: I didn't. And so the answer is it's a direct snap to the running back. we got like four yards. But then fakes, fakes a pitch to the quarterback. Like nobody does. Even do it. People think he's pitching it to the non-mobile exactly. quarterback to run the ball. Like I didn't get it at all. You know what was a really pretty play call? The first Michigan touchdown. That that quick yeah. fake throw and just a handoff for the jet sweep coming across. Like yep. that is the kind of thing that Ohio State supposedly does. Even the
0: can stuff you do, what,
1: what was the game when they handed it off to Garrett? He ran 50 yards in the first place.
2: Oh, of the, the game. jet sweep? Yeah, there was last no year. There. Yeah. And this year. <laughs> he, they he did the jet sweep this year and he, he scored. Year, yeah. Can you the question is, can you do that? Oh, you're down by two scores because your defense can't get any stops. <laughs> I think like Michigans came within like they're already up and they're feeling themselves. And it was like, you can be aggressive right here. Can you really do that when your simple stuff isn't working? And you can't, when the routine plays aren't routine anymore, can you go outside the box when you're not Jeff Brown?
0: But I'm not, but it's not, I'm not like, not a trick play, not a trick play.
2: Yeah, Like the
0: kind of play where you just get the whole defense looking one direction, and then you send somebody out the other direction, right? You use just some, Some counter action, just a counter, just like it's Ryan Day is good at this, but I don't think he had a moment in Mm. this game. What what was the best play call that Ohio State had in this game? Right. I mean, they they ran some good offense because they have good players.
1: What was the best play call? I thought they had a couple of good moments where they utilized Henderson as a receiver out of the backfield and got some nice gains off of that. Great. Screen so the drive. Yeah, yeah, not 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 later in the game, early in the game, but yeah. not, not so much mm-hmm. in the second half.
2: I thought obviously the let's just throw the ball up to Garrett always works. They used a lot of pre snap motion in this game, but because every time I tried to do it, Michigan was in zone. So like you're not really catching anybody off guard because no one's following Jackson. I, I mean, that might if you if you realize that at halftime, that OK, every time you go pre snap motion, you're clearly seeing somebody is in zone. That might be a chance to catch somebody off guard. But they didn't do it.
0: And to think about again, to think about how much, man, Michigan played when Ohio oh, yeah. State dropped 62 and 56. Never out. doing it again. <laughs> and how much, man, they played in that game. OK, let's come, we're going to come back and talk about sort of like what next for this Ohio State offense. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. 614-350-3315 for the texts. Please come replace the people who have
1: bailed in frustration. <laughs> we get it. We, we get really it. will be texting a lot of really interesting stuff in the coming weeks. Like signing I, day is coming
2: up in two weeks, man.
1: Well, yeah. signing day. We know what's going to happen for the most part. I think on signing day, I'm, no.
2: talking,
1: about, I'm talking about coaches coming and going. I'm talking about uh, players coming and going like stuff. Stuff's going to be happening here. Ball practice is always a big deal. Uh, for young guys and that kind of thing. So
0: we had a lot of suggestions about what might happen next for the coaching staff defensively. I don't think we have the same kind of inclination offensively because it's very weird. They had the best receiver trio in the country. They have a dynamic freshman running back that we've called a future Heisman candidate all year. They had a First year starter, second year in the program quarterback who matured throughout the course of the season and his ratio of excellent plays to mistakes is off the charts and his poise in the pocket and ability to move and read and take advantage of what is there and involve his playmakers is indicative of a much older quarterback. And they had what we thought was one of the best offensive lines in the country with a five star left tackle, with a five star right guard, with a diamond in the rough at right tackle, with a four year starter at left guard and a center who came in when somebody got hurt and did his job. So Nathan, on one hand, I'm not sure what else you would want from this Ohio State offense that I think probably are they not are they no longer the best offense in the country or they still are right but they weren't good enough in Michigan stadium against their rival on Saturday. So is there any disconnect between those two ideas? They are the best offense in the country that wasn't good enough in the moment when they needed to be at their best.
1: Yeah. I think it is a difficult thing to assess because it's hard to judge an offense for simply failing to score every time they get the ball, which is what they had to do to win that game. Like that is a really hard, that's a really high bar for any team. And I know Ohio State has done it. I know Ohio State had just done it to Michigan State for the most part, like first string against first string. That's basically how that went. But you're on the road in the snow against a better team than Michigan State, against a really good team. And when they're scoring every single time, I don't know how much I damn the offense for not being able to match that even though that is something that we think should be within their grasp. And as far as like throughout the staff, really the one, we should probably just talk about this. I mean, just the one area you maybe come out of the season with consternation about is probably the offensive line, the direction that the offensive line is going, whether that's recruiting, whether that, whether you feel like this last game also is indicative of a, a, a failure by the offensive line, or whether it was just a bad day by an otherwise talented offensive line and how much you want to hold that against him.
2: I said on a defensive pod that I wouldn't be shocked if the only person back is Larry Johnson on the defensive staff. I won't be surprised if Greg Chidral was the only one who's not back because of the recruiting. I mean, you started four tackles, and in the game where starting four tackles needed to matter the most, it exploded on you in the worst way possible. The offense, everything else in the offense, I think will be fine. CJ Stroud's awesome. He was very, he was really good in this football game. I believe he'll continue to grow next year. Travion Henderson will be back Jackson Smith, the jink was probably going to be the favorite for the bullet in the cough coming in the next season. Um, there's no reason to believe that Julian Fleming and the Buka and Marvin Harrison Jr. won't be. I don't know if they're not going to be as good as Garrett and Chris were this year, but there's no reason to believe that they won't still be great, really good next year. Um, so I think that part will be fine. I just think the combination of the recruiting, what we saw against Michigan in a game where it mattered, which lets me believe that maybe Georgia could have done the exact same thing to this offensive line. That's that's not that can't happen. But also, we spend a lot of time comparing this offense to Alabama and LSU. And like the one variable, and I don't even know if this is an excuse or not. Those two offenses never had to play in this type of environment, that type of climate that Ohio State has to deal with. Ohio State has to play its rivalry game in weather like that every year. It's not always going to be snowing that crazy, but it's going to be cold. It's going to be windy to an extent, and snow is always on the table. Rain, cold rain that's raining sideways is always on the table. The SEC schools don't have to deal with that, and so there is an element of – Maybe Travion Henderson—they got to establish the run more than maybe Joe Burrow did in 2019, and more than Mac Jones did it last year. With even though they had quality first-round running backs, Travion Henderson has to be 150 plus yards in the rivalry game because of the you know because they have to play in this weather, and those guys don't.
0: Ohio State for the season 850 offensive plays, 52.6 of them passes, 47.4 rushes pretty balanced right for a team that had these three receivers the thing about but, the run game. well go
1: ahead well, i was gonna say but that's not their usual it's it's not their usual distribution we talked about that coming into the season That they usually a,
0: run it more than they throw yes, it yes
1: that's a, this that was a right. departure this season
0: with a passing attack that featured three of the best receivers Correct. in college football so i guess the Correct. question is <laughs> is that so I will say, and we have plenty of time to get into this in the offseason. I have some question about Julian Fleming. Just I, I am certainly not assuming anything with him just because it's not his fault, but he's been injured. And the couple times we've seen Fair. him on the field, he hasn't blown us away. And he screwed up the opening kickoff and they started at the four,
2: yeah.
0: which was like, OK,
2: screwed up a bunch of them. So like, I don't know why he was still back there.
0: Like that's it. like he had a chance. like, frankly, like that got them off to a horrible start. Because you call an offense differently. They open the game with the punt. Mm -hmm. You call it differently when you're inside your own five than if you're at the 25. Here we go. Like, they gave up 20 yards because, like, he screwed up the fair catch and it bounced. Like, that was awful. So, I'm not making any assumptions with him.
1: This game really could have been a trouncing because they they have to punt there after three and out, and Michigan gets a nice return. So, if not for the interception, it's maybe 14 to nothing right there. And then things are really rolling downhill.
0: And I don't feel immediately.
1: So Igbuka was available. He was not on the status report, but the guy who wasn't available was the guy that I thought might have actually done the kick returns the week before when Igbuka wasn't available. And that was Demario McCall. Who has also screwed up kick returns in his life. Who has also way. screwed up kick returns. Hey, I do yes. so. In this game. That- yes. He <laughs> yes. took one in but- the face in the Michigan game. That's- so I'm just saying, like, I, it, it, but that's, um, I don't know. Go talk to your special teams coordinator, I guess. Like, why don't you have more guys who are ready to return a kick
2: or just don't return the
0: kick, the Fleming Fleming connection. Well, I mean, if you, well, you better get on it. They're going to recover. You have the live to feel into the
1: end zone. You do. Have yeah, to fair. Touch it.
0: So, so in the end, so t- point taken by you, Nathan to say, Hey, 52.6, the time they threw, they ran it still 47.4. They usually run it more than half. And again, the idea that, Hey, this is the team that chucks it around. They run it more than half. Is there anything? Well, that, let me let me do that. Let's cover stud first. So it's like, okay, the recruiting for stud, maybe you have some questions. But again, Paris Johnson's a five star. Nicholas Petit Frere is a five star. Whoever gets credit, Paris Johnson's junior's down the road. Nicholas Petit Frere went to high school with Greg Shiano's kids. I get it. They're here and they're good. Dwan Jones, man, that's still crazy. And he's here and he was pretty darn good most of the year. And then he wasn't as good in this game. And neither was Nicholas Petit Frere. Harry Miller, five-star, hurt all year. They adapted, put in their other top 50 center. They're good. And then Thayer Munford is a developmental success who's a four-year starter. So on one hand, Greg Studrawa, I think recruiting questions about Greg Studrawa are legitimate and i have always kind of been there. But actually, like, this was kind of peak because Petit Freire's going to leave and Nicholas, excuse me, Thayer Munford's going to leave. Again, we're going to get... Donovan Jackson won't get ever, but wasn't this a good offensive line? And part of it is they played the best defensive player in the country. And so sometimes I could, could it be true that they are the best offensive line in the country, but they played the best defensive end of the country and he beat them, but it doesn't mean they're not the best offensive line in the country. I'm, I'm a little apprehensive about saying like the offensive line play wasn't good enough generally.
1: I have always thought that some of the consternation about Studrawa's recruiting is a little bit overblown. Simply because when you look at the guys that have come through that offensive line as starters just the last two years, it's it, some of it is a testament to development. Some of it is a testament to they went out and got really good players. Now, yes, some of them were, you know, Josh Myers was an easier guy to recruit, but why Davis wasn't, they went and got him too. You know what I mean? So there's been elements of, of both of those things. And I, the other thing that I'm hesitant about is like using Saturday as a referendum on the offensive line is if only Dewan Jones plays better, if only Dewan Jones has fewer false starts and gives up two fewer sacks or whatever, it's just one guy there then it changes the complexion of that game and I think there you have to you have to leave some we're not piling on unpaid amateurs but you have to leave some room for like a guy just botching it that day like one guy just didn't show up from a mental standpoint or whatever and just didn't have it and it gets especially when you're going against the best defensive player in the country like the the margin for error is so small and Hutchinson was really exploiting it
2: I guess I would say, and that's fine. If if only Dewan Jones didn't have a bunch of false starts. If only Nicholas Petit-Frere didn't lose battle after battle, one on one. If only Thayer Munford literally just didn't get knocked back on his butt on a bull rust the way you only yeah, see in a bad. video game. That was bad. If only all those things don't happen, and that's fine. Except Ohio State has the best offense in the country. Georgia has the best defense in the country, and everybody wanted to see what that looked like on the same field, and. We're go- Let's just say Ohio State somehow pulls this out. That is a preview of what was, what's going to happen. Ohio State's offensive line if it got on the field with Georgia, which means you still didn't win a national title, which is what we're all talking about. I mean, it's about winning a national title here.
0: I think I think it's fair. I think it's I think it's. I'm not saying I just I don't. I'm not all the way at the end of that, and you aren't either, Stephen. We're not like no going to. Stuff. I'm just I'm, I'm, more, I'm just out, more like
2: yeah yeah. I'm fair. more like if somebody is going to be gone. Because somebody, if Ryan Day is going to let someone go on the offensive staff, it's going to be him. That's all I'm saying. I'm not even saying he should be gone or shouldn't be gone.
0: And then I think a lot of this so, – so we're going we're gonna to finish with Ryan Day. The other thing I want to talk about is if you think they need to be more physical or whatever, I mean, this was a team playing a first-year starter at quarterback and a first-year starter at running back who now have both played in the Michigan game, in Ann Arbor, in the snow – Faced a loss, gone, have gone through a whole year, and when C.J. Stroud and Van Henderson come back next season, they're going to be different. They're going to be different people. They're going to have added muscle. They're going to have added understanding of the game. They're going to have added motivation and experience. And as good as they were, man, like everybody's got to be a first-year starter at some point in their life. And now they're going to be second-year starters, and one or both of them should be third-year starters in the Ohio State-Michigan game at some point. So, you know, like Hassan Haskins has kind of been around the block, man. Mm -hmm. Cade McNamara is not as talented as CJ Stroud, but he's kind of been through it a little bit. And I think like somewhere, Nathan, somewhere that fits into this, that it's like, Oh, what happened to the hot side offense? Like, man, first year quarterback, first year running back, they were really good. Like, did they take advantage of every single thing they could have done? No, but, who does when you're 19?
1: Yeah, I think that is a fair thing to bring up, too. And um, listen, like you, we analyze things from the Ohio State perspective for a reason. You've got to give Michigan credit for the way it just came out and for sure won that game on both mm-hmm. sides of the ball. That was the best Michigan effort that's been in that game for A decade, a decade, or maybe not a whole decade. They had some close games in there too. But I mean, certainly the last four or five years, like that's the Ohio state had seen a Michigan team come in probably with that talent and certainly with that uh, conviction. And that was a factor in this game.
0: It's, I mean, it's a lot like the 2016 game. And in the 2016 game, Ohio state was playing a third year starter at quarterback and a dynamic running back who was carrying the offense who had been around in Curtis Samuel. And it's and at so, home. And it's at home. And if those three things aren't true, if JT Barrett's young, if Curtis Samuel's young, if it's on the road, if it's in the snow, maybe this happens in 2016 and there's a lot more consternation about some stuff back then. And there's some consternation about Urban Meyer. you know. So, I mean, can you imagine in 2016 you lose the – for all the wins that team had that year, beat Wisconsin, beat Oklahoma. You lose to Penn State and Michigan the same year, both tight and late. You like don't get it done. Oh my gosh. Now we're talking. Oh my. Oh my this. So I think there's some reasonable stuff there. So I want to end with Ryan Day. Is there anything, and this again will be a pod, it's a 19 part series that will start in December <laughs> and will take us through July.
1: Wednesday is special teams. We hinted at it already yeah. with the Fleming thing, yeah. but it'll be 90 minutes on special teams. It'll just be like, <laughs> my God, Noah Ruggles is awesome. We'll just special say guest Special guest, Jim Tressel.
0: Yeah, for real. <laughs> um, is there anything, Stephen, about the way Ryan Day wants to run offense that needs to be tweaked? Is there some part of, hey, man, all these receivers, all these great quarterbacks, as you sort of said, it might snow in December in the Big Ten. You've got to be able to run it like, like this, isn't, this isn't run and shoot land, man. This isn't Texas Tech. This is Ohio State. A 50, throwing it 52.6% of the time and running it 47.4% of the time isn't going to cut it here. Is there any philosophical adjustment that Ryan Day needs to make, not entirely based off this game, but learning from this game and looking at next year?
2: Um, yes, but not for the reasons of like, oh, this, you're not in the big 12. You can't run a big 12 offense. I think they can still throw it as much as they threw it this, this year. I think he is very much on where's my best personnel at because they actually, they ran it a lot in 2019 when you had JK Dobbins. Cause we were all like, are they just going to chuck it around? Like Dwayne Haskins all year. And we were like, nope. They're going to give the ball to J.K. Dobbins 30 times a game against Penn State, Michigan, and Wisconsin and go to the playoff. I don't know if you can do that with a true freshman running back who also didn't play senior year high school football because COVID, who like physically probably isn't there yet. I think this is a very important offseason for Travion. Just physically. I'm very excited to see what he looks like, not in spring football because they're still doing stuff. But when we get to go to practice or one of thirty nine million practices in fall camp or we get to talk to him in fall camp, I'm very interested to see what he looks like physically, because I think he's getting ready to go through a real physical transformation now that he's here. So I do think next year it is a little bit more balanced when you're in year two of him and you're in year two of a starting quarterback. That's interesting to me because both of those guys are experienced along with the talent at the receiver. Tight end's weird, but I do think maybe it's a little more balanced. The first the first year it was heavy run. Then it was whatever Justin wants to do on whatever play is was year two. This year we're going to throw it a lot. I just think it's more 50-50 going forward when you've got the two guys in the backfield as experienced as CJ and Travion are.
0: And I do think Evan, F- Evan Pryor factors in. Yes, I'm very intrigued to see if, in fact, Henderson is one and Pryor is two next year and what that means for Henderson, because, again, yeah. there was some stuff. There are moments here. It's like we understand Travion sure, will have a long run. They'll put Mayan Williams in. Mayan Williams actually ran pretty good, but it's like, well, I don't know. You could have should you had Travion. If Evan Pryor rises mm-hmm. to that level where he has top 100 talent and he could be a lead back a lot of places in the Big Ten and instead he's going to be. The, the alternate to Travion Henderson. I think that opens mm-hmm. some things up for the run game as well, because they didn't struggle with that, but that wasn't as locked in this year. So that's not, you're not talking any fundamental philosophical things though. It's like, you're basically if CJ, CJ and Travion get older and then mm-hmm. they can lean into that a little bit more. Nathan, where are you on the Ryan day style of doing this?
1: When he came in for post game, he was obviously asked about, uh, or maybe just said on his own, like you know the forty nine pass attempts are too much. But I don't think they felt like they could run the ball, like, and there was some evidence to suggest that they couldn't run the ball the way they wanted to. And I think they do have to get back to a place where they can run the ball when the other team knows they're going to run the ball. Like I remember watching this twenty nineteen offense, and we talked about the um, whatever you whatever you phrased it, Doug, the the Davis Myers uh, causeway or whatever it was. And, yeah. um, and what, Jonah what is a causeway <laughs> look it up. And Jonah, <laughs> Jonah Jackson, Jonah Jackson, uh, all those guys, those three interior guys, like getting into the next level and just decleating people a lot that year. And that element, I feel like has been missing a little bit these last two years. And I think it's an important element in establishing the run game. So a really, really important guy, I think for next year is Donovan Jackson.
2: I'm all for like, them getting back to people playing the position that they're actually naturally supposed to be playing. And Harry Miller, probably. On and Netflix Harry Miller, too. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: As much as he was one of the reasons why that didn't happen in 2020, I, again, have never really blamed him that much for that. I think he was doing what as well as a second-year player could do in that situation. And if he gets back to healthy and plays somewhere in the middle of this offense, I, I think there it, it maybe makes a difference because I think he is that talented.
2: I don't want this to be a referendum on Luke Whipper, but it's going to kind of sound that way. Harry Miller doesn't start the game off with a bad snap like that. And then he doesn't have the other one that he basically just rolled the ball to CJ Stroud because he's, he hadn't really, he, no, he didn't play meaningful snaps, but he'd at least been to Michigan before and he played, he played a lot of football in 2019 because they were blowing people out.
0: He had a lot of goofy snaps. The one time he played center last year.
2: Yeah, he did, did, but that was also weird. Not, you know,
0: Luke Whipper's not, a young guy anymore i mean he started the whole year i, I right. don't i don't know i mean that was some weird communication you can't have that the one part of this that i think is interesting will go back to the thing that was has been true all season and is it possible that the player on the ohio state roster most equipped to block aiden hutchinson was playing guard
2: he was really he was good on Saturday. He had,
1: he had their best grades.
2: Yeah, he, I don't remember. And Ryan Day said it. If you don't if you don't notice the guard out there, that means he's doing his job. I didn't notice Paris Johnson even in the rewatch.
1: I, I. But it's it's complete theory on our
2: part,
0: though. No, it is. And But but like theory and he was the number one recruit in the country at that position or whatever. Number two, like right? no, so, was, number so one. Was
1: Nicholas Petit Frere.
0: No, I agree. No, I mean, I, I agree. But. It's also theory that he wouldn't, right? So I'm not guaranteeing it, but their tackles who played very well all year did not play very well against the best pass rusher in the country. They have a, another guy who has a very good pedigree as a tackle. I wonder what he would have done is, and we'll never find out. So um, to the point of, it's, it's the thing about Ohio State. It's like, hey, oh, why that group, oh, that group's the best in the country. Oh, what happened? It's like everybody left and next year they were better. Like that kind of thing, it's ridiculous here. It's the kind of thing that happened. It's like, oh, oh no. Like say to Juan Jones and Nicholas go Pro and Thayer Munford left. And I don't know what he's going to do. It's like, oh, well now, then they just, you know, they moved Paris back outside and Harry Miller came back and they played Donovan Jackson. Like, yeah, they were better actually. Because that, I mean, you said last year, it's like, oh my gosh, they lost Josh Myers. They lose Wyatt Davis. What are they going to do? It's like, oh, they're going to move everybody around. They'll be better. It's like, okay, cool. All right, whatever. So they do have some guys. They still have another group. Sort of waiting in the pipeline for this. They should be able to find five. And I, we don't think Dewan Jones and Nicholas Petit Frere will both go. And frankly, based on how it's one of those things, might be good news for the offensive line next year because I don't think Nicholas Petit Frere or Dewan Jones made any money on Saturday. So there's nobody that's like, ha ha ha, I blocked Aiden Hutchinson. Hello, a first round of the draft. And again, <laughs> nobody blocked Aiden Hutchinson all year. So you can just lump Nicholas Petit Frere and Dewan Jones in with. Every other lineman in America, but if they had not been that, and then it's like, holy moly, is this guy actually one of the very best tackles in America? Because I've never seen anybody stop Aiden Hutchinson the way these guys did, which in other games at other times in their careers, that's exactly what they did. So Adofe Owe was like tearing up the Browns last night, last year for Penn State, like he couldn't get anywhere near Justin Fields, because Thayer, yeah. Munford, and Nicholas petit Frere went to town. So it's like we've seen them block first-round ends and absolutely own them. And and same thing with Karloftis. Dewan Jones consumed George Karloftis for lunch all day. And then against this guy, this guy, in the end, I think the number one thing of Ohio State's offensive rewatch is Aiden Hutchinson won this game. Right. If you were doing a ranking of the most important people in this game, it's not Jim Harbaugh's motivation. It's not Mike McDonald's scheme. It's not anything other than Aiden Hutchinson being a dominating force and being the best player on the field. And that is not a shock, but it is something that I mean, if we did that, when's the last time Ohio State didn't have the best player in this game?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's just well, the deal here. They always had the
0: best player in this game.
1: I and mean, t- back to what, Charles
0: Woodson, probably.
1: What did we talk about on multiple occasions coming into this year that this season was going to be partially defined by how Ohio State responded to elite edge rushers? And Boya Mafe didn't really do much for Minnesota. And Cavan Lantibodeau didn't even play. And George Karloftis was rendered completely silent. But Aiden Hutchinson got him.
2: Yeah, he's like Bosa level, and he had—I mean, talk about Michigan kid, son of a Michigan player. So he grew up. This has been probably eating at him much longer than he's actually been on the roster. So yeah, I mean, he was yeah. awesome.
0: And it is—it's one of those things. It's a—it's a—it's a because we cover this team, right? It's the lens, but it's what Penn State fans thought the times they go to, overtime, go to overtime with Ohio State in 2014 and Joey Bosa is picking up running backs and throwing them to the quarterback. And it's like, well, Penn State played really well, but dear God, what are you supposed to do with that? <laughs> and the answer really is nothing, nothing. I, I, there's nothing you can do. So, you know, Wisconsin in 2019 had a good team. It's like, oh, what happened? Uh, Chase Young had four sacks that day. It's like, oh, what should you have done? Nothing. Run. Hide. There's nothing to do. There was, no, there was, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't know that there's a ton more that Ohio state could have done. Right. I mean, every now and then you found some stuff where it's like, all right, well, he we left the tackle one-on-one and here Luke Whippler is looking for work and he has nothing to block. Could you have changed shifted the blocking assignment to get the guard to help on Hutchinson? But that really wasn't it. I mean, he just, was going to win. He was going to make an impact and he did. All right. I think well, for the Wednesday pod, I don't know what we're going to do for the Wednesday pod. I think we'll do rapid fire for the Thursday pod and let some people ask some questions.
1: I was definitely going to suggest we need a rapid fire this week because um, I, I I don't have a great read on what our readers want to hear or our listeners want to hear right now. So I think we should let uh, them tell us <laughs> what they want to hear right now, and we will answer those questions.
0: And I do think we'll get a recruiting reset coming up sooner than later with signing day, what, mm. Two weeks away, two and a half weeks yeah.
2: away. Yeah, they're out doing home visits right now, trying to make sure Zion Branch doesn't get too enticed by the Lincoln Riley train. But yeah, it's coming up.
0: Yeah, it's funny enough of the moving parts here that, I mean, Michigan didn't Michigan get a commitment from like a top 150 kid it did. The after the game, a guy visited yeah. there. Not that they're going to necessarily, not, not that Michigan's going to start, start yeah. flipping Ohio State guys, but Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma and that whole Class D committing. Georgia rising up like this, Michigan rising up. Um, There's some uh, just a lot of coaching movement. There's some stuff that's shifting on the college landscape. So we'll have to make sure we talk about Ohio State in the context of all that stuff. And we will. 614-350-3315. If you want to ask some of those questions, I have a feeling, I I think it'll still be, people might be mad, but I think it'll be one of those when we actually do an official call-up for questions, we're going to get like 300 questions, would, would be my guess. Although I think we probably answered a decent number of them in these two podcasts. So again, the Monday pod, all about the Ohio state defense, this all about the Ohio state offense, what happened in the Michigan game. And now we'll start spinning forward. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Buckeye talk, drop the reviews at Apple podcasts for Stephen means and Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye talk. <laughs>